everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Hey, Todd. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Tried a different... Did you, you notice I shook tried it up? I noticed. I noticed. Yes. I, like I tried it, to though. just pretend like it wasn't even happening, though. Denial. You got a little hurt. Yeah, I My saw favorite that. Defense mechanism. Like flash of anger in your yep. eyes. It was Damn it, Todd. Unsettling. <laughs> uh, you ready right. for a good conversation? Always, always. Um, frequently with anxiety, almost primarily, what you see is um, worry, the act of worry. Um, I'm going to go on record and say. You can't feel anxiety without worry. If you have anxiety, there are worries happening, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, I often tell clients anxiety is worry. <laughs> they're the same, they're almost the same thing. Um, but worry, the, the, the basically the cognitive kind of habit of um, trying to identify and play out catastrophic situations that might maybe could occur if this thing should happen, right? So a lot of maybes, a lot of ifs, a lot of possibilities. And oftentimes this, this behavior is engaged in by people with anxiety because they feel like if they can identify every possible potential awful outcome, they'll be better prepared to make decisions inside that moment um, than they would if they don't think about those things. So you there's, there's kind of a, an allure to worrying um, as a means of identifying and preparing for potential catastrophe. Do you think that's actually what motivates worry? I don't want to go too far in the weeds, but like, do you, do you really think people, people think, yes, I am going to identify every possible solution to this ambiguous, threatening situation in the future. And that once I do, then I'm not going to feel afraid anymore. Like you really think people believe that? I think there's a flash of that. I think, I think that's the initial, uh, I have a fly fishing metaphor here. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, people ruminate and worry and just so that I can explain both of these cognitive habits um, rumination is a, is a pattern of looking backward and saying would have, should have, could have, that was wrong. This is how sure. I failed. That's how the world is unfair. Here's. And, and so ruminating kind of goes with depression, like anxiety and worry go together. Um, but there's often something appealing about doing those things. There's, there's a lure. And if you're a fisherman, you know what I mean. There's something that kind of catches your attention and the reason why you fixate on it initially. And I think there is that initial sometimes with worry, the what if, the oh my gosh, what if. And now imagining the scenario, um, I think the lure is I want to be prepared for. I think what you, where you're going and where we might disagree <laughs> is that I think it does turn avoidant after that. I think the habit takes on an avoidant um, uh, pattern at that point. No, so I so do I, agree with you that worries avoidance, but I think the, the original lure of that is what if, and, and the catastrophizing of that what if, it's almost like a train wreck. You can't look away from something that's coming down the road at you. Um, ironically, at that point, it's a totally avoidant strategy. But I, yeah. think, I think it's all avoidance. I think the story... I think that's a story people tell themselves after the fact about worry. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, I was trying to you know, mm -hmm. figure out and solve. 
I think worry is avoidance from the get go. I think what from I think start. I think worry is it's habitual. So I think what happens is you get conditioned to whenever you feel a little bit of anxiety, especially around uncertainty or, or kind of helplessness about not being able to control something in the future, you, you, your mind starts worrying. It's a conditioned response. You keep doing it because mm-hmm. I think, this is my theory, I think worry is a distraction mechanism from the feeling of anxiety. I think when you go into your head and you start intellectualizing, you temporarily numb out the feeling. And it gives you the illusion of control and certainty, right? You're problem solving. Worry is problem solving. It's just not productive problem solving, but it temporarily problem solving. It makes you feel like you're doing something helpful, right? And that temporarily alleviates the the anxiety. So I think, I think it's avoidance the whole way down. I don't, I don't actually think people strategically say, no, you know what? I'm feeling anxious, but if I really strategically think more about this, I'll solve the problem. And then I no, I don't, I don't think there's that much deliberate thought going on. I think people just end up worrying because it's the conditioned avoidance habit they've developed over time. End of rant. I might, <laughs> I might. <laughs> <laughs> well, to our listening audience, you've just heard Nick be wrong and we'll go ahead and accept that. We'll allow that to happen. Don't patronize um, me. Don't I, patronize I do, me. <laughs> I, I, I agree with Ninety percent of what you what you say here, but I do think the the habit initially happens because of this. Like, here's the supposed benefit, and I'll, I'll agree that over time that benefit is never there. And what ends up happening is you condition yourself to respond to anxiety in this what if kind of way, and it freezes behavior. And, and you're exactly right about that. What ends up happening is a lot of perseveration and no decision making. Um, yeah which is that avoidant quality makes the, the situation worse a lot. But um, so to focus clients who struggle with worry, though, even though Nick and I disagree on how that works, um, I often encourage clients to um, practice a different um, kind of process once they recognize their worrying. Once they say, "Woo, I'm starting to do that what if thing, I'm catastrophizing and I'm, I'm in this moment. You know, how do I rehearse something different here? How do I do something different um, behaviorally than I'm used to doing? And how do I kind of think about this moment? Um, But I often tell clients, can you allow the experience to unfold and to make decisions inside of that? And and here's what I mean, is that with worry, you're constantly trying to imagine some future scenario and fill in a bunch of detail that might maybe could be true, maybe if sometimes. That's impossible, right? That's impossible to know three days from now what the environment will look like in this situation where you're going to be doing this thing. Um, And that actually by doing that, you rob yourself of a bunch of really good information that is going to be present when that event occurs, right? And that allowing yourself to make the decisions off that rich source of information that's actually in the event as it's happening, you get to make decisions in full view of all of that. Whereas you don't have that advantage trying to worry about it now. Okay. So practical example, What's up? I joined a new gym and I noticed that they have a Zumba class every Monday evening. And I secretly mm-hmm. am in love with the idea of doing Zumba, but you I, gotta go to I would Zumba, never admit you gotta it to get thousands of people over a podcast online. If you're not but, Zumbaing, I don't know what you're doing. I, but I'm scared, right? Because it's, it's like a public mm-hmm. class. I get a little social anxiety. 
There's a little like, dance aspect to it. Dance. Yeah. I don't know if you're I want people seeing me dancing. Mirrors you know? in the room. There's mirrors yeah. in the room. You're going to see yourself. Yeah. So every time I show up at the gym, I, I go to my treadmill and I do my thing, but I'm in my head constantly about, well, should I do this? What if I do this? Is there a way I can, can I do it at a time when not very many people are there? And what, you know, so I start worrying, you know, about all these different contingencies and like planning out all looking through all these hypotheticals. Right. Right. So what you're suggesting is that there is what economists would call opportunity cost with that. All that time and energy I spend living in like hypothetical land, I'm robbing myself of the actual information that would come from trying out the Zuma class and seeing like what, you know, are those fears actually going to come true? Do I, is this going to be as uncomfortable as I think? Maybe it ends up being so awesome that I literally couldn't care less what other people think because it's such a mind-blowingly amazing experience, right? right. But you, and what, but, it, go ahead. <laughs> um, no, but that, but you, if you stay stuck in hypothetical worry land, you rob yourself of the actual experience and data that comes from doing something different. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would really point out to my clients that from the treadmill, worrying about what the Zumba class would like you are kind of robbing yourself of the information about what that class actually room actually feels like where the instructor stands. So you can kind of define where you want to be. Um, do you enjoy it? Is it fun? Is there a sense of camaraderie with people? Is the lighting good? Is it, I mean, all that information, you don't have it. Mm -hmm. You don't have it, you know, and there's no way for you to kind of invent this imaginary kind of scenario with all the richness of that information yeah. from three days earlier, right? From the treadmill, <laughs> you know, right. the best way, the advantage you can give yourself by actually walking through the door into the Zumba class is that then you get to make decisions based on what's actually happening there mm -hmm. in reality, right? It's not in imagination and it's not hypotheticals. It's, ooh, here's the shape of the classroom and here's where their mirrors are. And here's where the instructor likes to walk around. And here's where yeah. I want to be so that I can hear. And here's how I feel. And here's how I'm actually feeling as it's going, you know, and here's how I'm actually doing. And here's what is actually happening. Yeah. yeah or, or maybe even a step earlier, like a less intense step, maybe you just email the instructor, right. And say, Hey, what's this? I'm interested in this class. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Right. Even that that's real information. That's not you like spinning around the treadmill in your head, right? That's actual data and information, which is probably going to be a lot more helpful um, for you achieving your goals than um, playing around in hypothetical worry land. I, you know, I think about this, like the, uh, my mind goes to the scientific method, you know, like the like, thing we all learned in high school, right? Where you, um, good science, you know, you sort of observe and you ask good questions and then you create a hypothesis, right? Right. But then, you know, and this is all basically in your head. You're just kind of looking at stuff. It's all in your head. But then the, what you do after that is you would not be a good scientist if you stopped with hypothesizing. <laughs> you, right. What you have to do actually is test your hypothesis. You have to run an experiment mm -hmm. and like see what the data actually show, right? Then you can create a, um, a realistic true theory or, or more true theory, right? But you have to, you have to go beyond the hypothetical stage into experimenting and doing what I think, you know, a lot of therapists call behavioral experiments, right? Yeah. Where you go out and you test, like in your head, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a disaster. I'm going to be so anxious. I'm going to have a panic attack the minute I step in that right. Zumba classroom. Exactly. Right. Exactly. No, well, I don't know. That's a hypothesis, but you have to, right. there's no way you can know. You have to test it, right? You have to see what it's actually like when you go in there.
right? And so that's yeah. why creating these little, now I remember someone telling me one time, <laughs> you can think your way into almost any kind of anxiety and you can think your way out of none. <laughs> You only right, you think right. your way into anxiety. You act your way out of it. You <laughs> yeah, behave you really your way do. out of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, so I like to encourage my clients when they catch themselves worrying, though, to kind of you know one identify, ooh, I'm doing that what if thing, I'm playing that game with yeah. myself here. And you know what? Maybe what I would prefer to do is to make the choices about how I might react to that in the event as it unfolds, right? Because then I'll have the benefit of the information. And until then. I'm going to choose to focus my attention over here. I might still feel anxious. I might not, but sitting here playing the what if game with myself endlessly for three hours about this thing is just going to drive me nuts. You know, it's going to make me feel more anxious. It's going to make me feel more anxious um, and, and have panic and all of these things because I'm constantly telling myself I have to avoid or, or I'm trying to avoid something that's not going to be avoided. Yeah. Cause on some level, worry, worry, very quickly, worry stops. It goes from being planning into procrastinating. <laughs> yeah, right? it's you're convincing yourself. Oh no! If I just think a little bit more about it, then and, I won't feel. And as not just procrastination; it. it is anxious procrastination. Yeah, which is double the fun. Yeah, yeah. Not, you feel guilty good. about procrastinating and anxious at the same time. Yeah. So not great. Step forward and allow yourself to make choices inside reality rather than the catastrophic hypothetical. Yes, but you know. Baby steps, man. The, the great film. What about yeah. Bob? <laughs> Doctor Doctor Leo Marvin's great great insight. Baby steps. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Don't feel like yeah. you have to do the the one huge thing all at once. Like, what's the so with with the Zuma class example again? Like, mm -hmm, maybe mm -hmm. stepping foot in the classroom is terrifying. Just showing up for the first class is too terrifying, right? So again, like, at, email the instructor, call the instructor, right? See what it's like. Say hi to the instructor in the hall and tell them, yes. hey, I'm thinking about your class, but I don't know, man. I've never go, done this before. Go to the Have gym a conversation. when one of those classes is taking place. So you can actually see mm -hmm. you through the window and see like, huh, what's that like? Oh, there's a bunch of other dudes in there. It's not all women. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it wouldn't be terrible. You know, you, so you can, mm -hmm. up, you can slowly work your, almost always, if you're creative enough, you can find baby steps where you're, where you're actually behaving your way into confidence instead of trying to hypothetically reason your way into confidence, which just never works. I have the best personal story I'll divulge about my um, exposure yes. to a, a workout class at a gym. This, this very situation happened. I saw this poster advertising what I wanted and I was like, Ooh, I'm coming to that. Right. And I knock on this door to enter the class and they're halfway through. I got the time wrong. Uh, I, you know, the class was half over and they were like, yeah, come on in though. And I was like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I'm half an hour late, but you know what? It went fine. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> Humiliating, but not that bad. Hey everyone, Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.